Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. Let your friends know. Message them, tweet them, do whatever. Tell them to get in here right now, because this is going to be a deep show. You're going to want to see what we've got coming up. The big story that we're going to tell you about in the second segment is is astonishing from our local paper, the Burlington Free Press. <clears throat> which has a front page article blaming the murder of transgender people and violence against transgender people on an anonymous person who's putting up stickers on telephone poles. So get ready. We're also going to talk about the Jussie Smollettification of abortion by revisiting the story that you may remember from a couple of weeks ago in the distant past about a 10-year-old girl who was allegedly raped and allegedly had to go out of her state of Ohio and into Indiana to get an abortion. We're going to talk about a grown adult man who got fired for refusing to work after the Roe versus Wade decision came down because he was, as he said, in mourning. So he got fired and he thinks that's cause phobia. Oh, and also racism. Then we're going to visit Congress, which wants to codify, that is, to put into law, the religious belief in gender identity. So they get this through. Kiss reality, goodbye. Kiss girls sports, goodbye. Gone. And we're going to end up with some reader questions that I'm going to answer. I asked several, well, I asked several of you. I asked all of you on social media to send me questions that you would want answered in my inimitable style. (laughs) And I'm going to answer some of them. So let's get right into abortion. So a few weeks ago, the Indianapolis Star ran a story that claimed that a 10-year-old girl from Ohio had been raped. And they claimed, well, the implication in the article was that the Supreme Court's reversal of the Roe versus Wade decision, that is, returning the right back to the states to regulate abortion rather than setting a standard at the federal level, that that reversal um, required this girl to travel outside of Ohio to Indiana to get an abortion because Ohio law would not have permitted this. Ohio law is somewhat vague on this. I can see reasonable people making a good argument on both sides of that, that yes, this can be interpreted to fall under one of the exemptions, or no, it doesn't seem to fall under one of those exemptions. It is actually vague, and I think reasonable people can disagree on that. But it's it's hard to know what in this story, which took national headlines, is is actually true. I'm going to compare coverage from two different sources. The first is from the Post-Millennial and then from the New York Post. They were written on different days, so there's different information that's available depending on when the article is written. But let's start out with the Post-Millennial. Quote, on July 8th, President Biden invoked the story, that is the story of Uh, this 10-year-old girl, as truth when he signed an executive order to expand abortion from the federal level. Quote, she was forced to have to travel out, out of the state to Indiana to seek to terminate the pregnancy and maybe said, maybe save her life, Biden said. 10 years old, raped, six weeks pregnant, already traumatized, was forced to travel to another state, end quote. Postmillennial also says journalist and broadcaster at PJ Media, Megan Fox, 
was the first to point out the many red flags in the story on Twitter, saying the story about a 10-year-old pregnant girl who had to go from Ohio to Indiana for an abortion gives me serious pause for a number of reasons. There are many red flags. I'm going to detail them here. The red flags she talks about are the fact that the original Indianapolis Star article did only cited a single source for these claims, and that source was Dr. Caitlin Bernard, who performs abortions and apparently was uh, the doctor who performed the abortion on this girl. There wasn't any mention in that article of, of any report to authorities. This is one of those situations. You've got a 10-year-old girl who's pregnant. That is by definition rape because 10-year-old children cannot consent to sex. It is definitionally rape. You know immediately when you have a 10-year-old girl who's pregnant that she is in an abusive and exploitative situation. Um, but there wasn't any mention in the Star article of whether this had been reported, who did the reporting, whether there was any follow-up investigating. So what's really going on, it's hard to know. Now, here comes a few days later the New York Post. Quote, The mother of a 10-year-old Ohio girl who crossed state lines to get an abortion has defended her daughter's 27-year-old rapist, who was wrongly listed as a minor during the medical visit, according to reports. The mom spoke to Telemundo while hiding behind the door of a Columbus apartment that was also listed as the home of rapist Gerson Fuentes, an illegal immigrant from Guatemala. So if this is to be believed, mom is, is living with her daughter, with this 10-year-old daughter, in an apartment with a rapist. And not just any rapist. You'll hear why as I go along. Here's a quote from mom. She's fine. Everything they're saying against him is a lie, she insisted of Fuentes, who confessed during police interviews to raping the youngster at least twice, according to court records and officials. What's going on here with mom? Is there a language barrier happening? I suppose that's possible. Or is she complicit? Even if Fuentes didn't rape her daughter specifically, why is mom living with a man who raped anyone? More from the story. <clears throat> the shocking case came to light when the girl was taken across state lines to terminate the pregnancy in Indiana on June 30th with President Biden highlighting it as proof of the evils of anti-abortion legislation. However, despite Fuentes, this is the alleged rapist, being 27, the person listed as getting the girl pregnant was described as a minor in the report her abortionist sent to authorities, according to Fox News Digital, which obtained a copy. Dr. Caitlin Bernard listed the rapist as being approximately 17 in her official filing to the Indiana Department of Health, the outlet said. Gerson Fuentes, an illegal immigrant from Guatemala, was held on $2 million bond after being charged with felony rape of someone under 13. I'm going to break in here. It's possible that Dr. Bernard didn't actually know the identity of this person. It's possible that either the girl herself or someone in the family gave her misinformation. You know, you can imagine all sorts of scenarios where the people involved with this would be scared or intimidated. You, you can understand that. So that may be going on here. This may be an uh, innocent mistake on Dr. Bernard's part, or it might not be. 
But we don't know that just from this. Uh, I don't know what actually happened here, and, and, and obviously very few other people do. It appears that this girl exists and she was raped and she did have an abortion, but nothing about this is certain. And it's still not clear if she actually had to go to Indiana uh, to have this done because of Ohio law, because Ohio law isn't clear enough. I will tell you this, um, and if, if you're watching here, if you're one of the people who has commented recently against what you believe is my anti-abortion stance, please pay attention to this carefully. I've said this before explicitly several times, but some of you are not hearing it or you're unwilling to hear it. I am not against all abortions. If you think I have an anti-abortion stance, reset your image of who you think you're talking to. I am not against all abortions. My views aren't settled. I do think there should be a limit, but I'm not against all abortions. And if state laws are vague enough that it is not clear in the law that a child who was raped at the age of 10, if it's not clear that that child is eligible for an exemption to get an abortion, then something needs to be done and it needs to be done right now that's unacceptable. Aside from the horror of a girl who was raped by an adult, aside from the horror of that experience, the horror of being pregnant at 10 years old before she's even halfway into puberty. Uh, it's, it's, it's unjust. I mean, a pregnancy at that age can kill a girl. She's not fully developed. She's developed enough, yes, obviously, to have conceived, but her hips may not have even widened enough to care. I mean, there's just all sorts of things here. But the left and the media, which are the same, took off with this story because it seemed to show that all the worst things they believed were true. Just like the left embraced Jussie Smollett's ridiculous story so they could continue believing that we live in a country where violent Trumpsters roam the streets of Chicago at 2 a.m. looking for actors from cable nighttime soap operas who are on their way to Subway to accost them and say, this here's MAGA country the mean streets of democratic Chicago, MAGA country. They need to believe that this world exists, that this, this unreconstructedly racist pre-1960s, hell, pre-20th century United States exists. And of course, media coverage ceases just about a day and a half after the original scandal story. Nobody's digging in to follow up because it served its inflammatory purpose. That was the purpose of this story, not to actually find out what happened and whether or not this points to places in law that we should take, um, we should take care and review, but simply to inflame. Now, let's do some high drama, gay male style. I know you're already watching the show, right? This is Michael Lopez, this picture on your screen here. Until recently, Mr. Lopez was an employee of uh, Universal. I was going to say Universal Pictures, but it's Universal Music Group. They own everything now. This comes from the New York Post, this story. A woke Universal Music Group worker claims he was fired for speaking up about abortion rights after he 
after he admitted he refused to work because he was, quote, in mourning over the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. What kind of mourning is this? Because I don't see you in a black Chanel dress, Michael. Bitch, where's your veil? You know what? If I were Shelby, remember my manager Shelby, when I was a newspaper boy, if I were Shelby and this is my employee, I'd be like this. What is you moaning about? <laughs> Quote, Michael Lopez, a production coordinator at Universal Music Enterprises, blasted the company as anti-gay for terminating a, quote, queer brown person during Pride Month. Not during Pride Month. During Pride Month for speaking up in defense of abortion rights, according to a lengthy note on LinkedIn that went viral last week. And here's a quote. Last Friday, like countless other folks... I was devastated by the news of the Supreme Court's attack on abortion rights, Michael Lopez wrote. Gay men love a melodrama, don't they? Purple Prose continues. Paired with the flood of anti-queer and anti-trans legislation, it's been hard to process how companies expect us to be productive while our rights are being stripped away. Look at that on your screen. He even got the grocer's apostrophe in there. Don't you love it? <laughs> Lopez went on to explain that each Friday, quote, one of my tasks was to process reports for upcoming releases and then to email his work to 275 people. But instead of doing the usual process reports, he wrote an email that read, quote, I didn't do them today. Okay. Another quote. I'm in mourning due to the attack on people with uteruses in the U.S. Federally guaranteed access to abortion is gone, the email continued. Michael. This is a queen in mourning. That is mourning. For those of you who don't know, that is Queen Victoria, high melodrama queen herself, who wore widow's weeds for the rest of her life after her husband Albert died, like 40 bloody years. And you know what she was thinking in that picture? She was all on my way to get me some John Brown. I know that's right. <laughs> Back to the story. Mm, borderline glasses. Vivendi and Universal Music Group must stop donating to anti-abortion, anti-queer, and anti-trans politicians. Politicians like Marsha Blackburn, Ken Buck, Victoria Spartz, etc. Or expect more unproductive days, he wrote, signing off with yours in fury, Michael Lopez. Yours in fury. Rest in power, Michael. Rest in power. <laughs> Here's the end of the story. 
When he returned to work the following Monday, Lopez said he was greeted with a surprise Zoom video chat with human resources. I sort of feel for him with the human resources. I mean, he has it coming, but I mean, you know, Karen. Quote, I was being let go for not doing your job, disrupting the day of 275 people and poor judgment, Lopez wrote. Well, it sounds like HR was on the ball with this one. Lopez then said he sent a follow-up email to the email list informing his colleagues, quote, just got fired for this email from Friday, so they're letting you know where they stand on employees speaking out on politicians that support marginalization for folks like me, he reportedly wrote, according to his lengthy LinkedIn post. <laughs> Unbelievable. This bitch badmouths his company. First of all, he claims he's in mourning over something that doesn't affect him. Then he talks about how all these politicians are marginalizing people like him, again, being a non-uterus haver, right? Then he gets called into HR. He gets told about himself, accurately, I might add. So he's fired. <laughs> yes, I'm going to do it. And his response is to go back to his desk after he's fired and send out another email on the company's internal email system. It reminds me <laughs> It reminds me of that episode of Family Guy where Lois and Peter are trying to get rid of Consuela the maid because she's not working out. And Peter's like, no, 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 Consuela, I'm telling you, you're fired. No, 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 I keep job. <laughs> this is a result of bring your whole self to work. This guy, like so many others in his generation, thinks that his time on the job is about politicking. It's about sharing his personal feelings about societal issues. It's about trying to rally his coworkers to engage in political activity that has nothing to do with the job that he's being paid for. Then he actually gets fired for it, which I'm shocked about because I didn't realize there was anybody left in management who remembered how the work world used to be. He gets fired for it, and he's so resentful about that. That he, he's just like, no, no, I keep job. And goes back to his desk and sends out another email. <laughs> oh, I want to I, I be a reverse Rip Van Winkle. I want to go to sleep and wake up it, basically in 1991, but with everything that I know now. And then everything's going to stop there. We're not going to go on. It's not going to be the 1992 or the millennium. No, no. We're just going to stay there. Okay. So we're coming up on a break here. But a couple of things. One, remember to subscribe on audio because we have fresh, hot, audio-only content that you don't get on YouTube. You're not going to see it on this channel. Find it through Apple Podcasts iTunes? Are they, do they still call themselves iTunes? Anyway, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe to us. And also, coming up, we're going to take a look at the Burlington Free Press, and you are going to want to get a couple of things together for the other side of the break. Number one, a notebook, which you should always have. <clears throat> Number two a bottle of hard liquor 
and a shotgun. No, gay men and ladies, no, no, no. No frozen margaritas. We're not drinking strawberry daiquiris. We're not even making Cosmos. You are gonna learn to take your liquor neat tonight and you're gonna need it, so get the bourbon. Also a sick bag. We'll see you after the break. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too, so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Welcome back. Did you get all the implements I instructed you to get? This segment could be an extension of our recent show, Welcome to Stepford, Vermont. And if you haven't seen that, don't do it now. Um, I'm not one of those podcasters who's like, look up over my shoulder on the screen and click here. No, no, no. I want you listening to me now. Do it later. Go back and watch the show, um, Welcome to Stepford, Vermont. It's The entire show is about the wokeness and the deranged insanity in, in this um, in this blue city that we live in. Um, so think of this as uh, maybe part two. Wait, you know what? I have, I have, I actually have a physical prop. I walked by a newspaper rack the other day and bought this. Copy of the Burlington Free Press. And I will note, okay, you can't, you can't feel the hand and the heft of this paper, but this newspaper is thinner and lighter than many of the free penny savers I remember picking up as a child, okay? This is skinnier than the chicken dinner newspaper I worked at 25 or 26 years ago. You know, the one with Shelby? Um, it's nothing. It's nothing, right? How much do you think I paid for this off the news rack? $3.50. Talk about a paywall. $3.50? I could see that for the Sunday section with the coupons and the funny pages, but um, no wonder the newspaper business is going out of business. So I showed you that. Here's the cover. I want you to look at the cover story on the free press. And notice that this is above the fold. That's newspaper speak for, I know, I know many of you know this, but I also know from doing it every single week that there are lots of people who don't know some of the things I talk about. Above the fold, right? Uh, and it comes from the days of wanting to sell the paper by putting the most important and provocative story right there so it's on the top and you see it as you walk by. And obviously it worked. 
um, although physical papers are increasingly irrelevant. So the cover, the most important thing that needs to be above the fold is anti-trans messages are being posted across the city and in big, bold type, what's being done about it? <laughs> now I'll get to the picture. The featured photograph to illustrate this, again, yeah, 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 you can see it on your screen. It has, it has this caption. It's, it's a picture of the back of a road sign. So it might be like a yield sign or something like that, but it's just the back side of it where it's bolted onto the post. Caption, sticker residue is shown on the back of a sign on the bike path in the new north end. Transphobic sticker messages aren't new in Burlington, and some residents are calling on the city to do something about them. That's photojournalism. Sticker residue. They showed us a picture of the little bits of gum when, from when you peel off the sticker. <laughs> <laughs> but notice also, notice the editorial voice, the opinion voice, not the straight news voice. They called the stickers transphobic, not some have described as transphobic. They just say they're transphobic. But what do they say? Well, I haven't found out yet. Let's see if they'll tell us. Let's read the article from, you're going to love this. Urban change reporter, Lily St. Angelo. Urban change reporter. This is a New England town. Burlington is a New England town. I know it's technically a city, but it's got 40,000 residents. It's a Victorian New England town. Urban change. We don't have the mean streets of Burlington here. So here's a, here's a picture of Lily St. Angelo, uh, the author of this story. Naturally, um, she, her pronouns, urban change reporter. Notice also head tilt, smile that doesn't match the eyes. So Lily has gone to journalism school. Modern media thinks that's a thing, but it isn't. I got into newspapering with a just a regular old bachelor's degree, and a lot of people uh, in the newsroom hadn't even gone to college. I learned it on the job, apprenticing. And within two years of just coming in off the street, I was winning first place awards in the State Press Association for Consumer Investigative Stories. Poor Lily here is stuck writing about sticker residue. Apparently, that's what journalism school gets you today. Quote, the white home-printed labels with transphobic messages in bold lettering are not new. Stuck on poles and signs along the Burlington bike path and in the new North End, the stickers have been showing up for year, a few years, said Kel Arbor at the Pride Center of Vermont. Still no mention of what the sticker said. They're still telling us in their editorial voice, not their news voice, their I'm making an opinion judgment voice, they're still telling us that they're transphobic stickers, but not telling us what they said. 
Normal journalists would say some people have called them transphobic or activists have described them as transphobic. But Lily St. Angelo doesn't. She says it in her own words on behalf of the free press that they simply are transphobic because she said so. And she's not going to tell you what they actually said so that you can form a judgment for yourself. This is straight up opinion. This is not news. It's opinion. It belongs on the op-ed page. Quote, but after, after recent local events, including the murder of transgender woman Fern Feather in April in Morristown, more people are noticing the stickers and calling for Burlington to do something about the perpetrator. Boom. This is grotesque and it needs to be picked apart. Notice how she immediately links the issue of these so far anonymous stickers to a murder, joining those concepts up for you psychologically. Just like Vermont media blamed my friend Republican Christopher Felker, other uh, people around town concerned about gender issues, people like me, blamed us for creating an atmosphere that allowed murder because we objected to state lawmakers proposing a bill, House Bill 659 in Vermont, that would take away parents' rights to object to giving a child puberty blocker. So if that child said he or she was transgender and an adult or a doctor got wind of this and decided that that child was telling the truth, this bill would, would take a parent's rights away to say no. The state could simply start the puberty blockers. That's what we were objecting to. And we're right, because it's monstrous. But our objecting to that helped get Fern Feather murdered. Go back a couple of months, you'll see the episode about this too. Notice also what she did. She used the word perpetrator in that paragraph. The goal with that is to associate in your mind the perpetrator of the murder that she referred to with the person who's simply putting up stickers because she's calling the sticker person the perpetrator. I don't know exactly how conscious it is, but that is what's going on here. You, you need to parse this stuff, this, this, how they manipulate you. It can be, it can be very subtle. I, I, I ask you, editors of the Free Press, if you're watching or listening to this, do you hear yourselves? I'm serious. Do you hear yourselves? This is not like something you would have done 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Something's wrong here. Is there a part of you that's even dimly aware of that? We get to a section in the article with a subhead, Why the Stickers Matter. The stickers, while no more than paper and glue in a physical sense, send a message of erasure with their words, Arbor said, Kel Arbor, the director of the Vermont Pride Center. Still no disclosure of what the stickers actually said. More from Kel Arbor. There are lots of different messages that are out there, but they're all exacerbating that there's only men and women. Yeah, I'm going to get petty here. The word is not exacerbating. Kel Stop trying to sound like your idea of what an erudite person is supposed to sound like, because that is what you're doing. 
you're trying to sound like somebody with a more expansive vocabulary and a better facility with language than you actually have. Stop it. Just speak in your own voice. You're making yourself look like a fool. So the idea that there are, the idea that there are only men and women, which is true, that's the harm. That's what he's saying is the harm. Yeah, he. Although Kel uses they, them pronouns, Joshua Slocum does not use they, them pronouns. Another quote, when we reiterate that there's only two genders, can't even do subject-verb agreement, when we reiterate that there's only two genders, we're immediately saying, and nobody else exists. <laughs> here's Cal. Have we, Kevin, have we shown Cal on the screen yet? Yeah, here's Cal. Hi, Cal. This is from a news release. Cal Arbor moves into health and wellness director role at Pride Center of Vermont, stepping into the space, leaning in. Now, let me clarify this for you, Kel, and other deluded people who may be listening to this. There are only men and women, aside from a vanishingly small number of people with disorders of sexual development, also known as intersex people, also known incorrectly as hermaphrodites. There is no such thing as hermaphrodite. As a reminder, if you think there are people who are born with two fully functional and visually distinguishable sets of male and, ge and female genitalia so that they have a cock and balls and a vagina and a working uterus, that's not true. That has never happened in, the, in human history. That was never true. Those people don't exist, okay? That's a myth. No one is being erased by this reality. What's erased for people like Kel is their false identity as non-binary or as not a sex or as the, the, the opposite sex to what they actually are or something in between. What's erased is their narcissist's mask. This is a false identity. It's the mask of the narcissist. It, this confected and unstable false social identity that is used in place of integrating the personality into an actual coherent whole. That's what's going on here. Yes, when they, and I've, I've mentioned this before, I know that it's over the top when they say they're erasing us, they're erasing us, and it is over the top, but understand that for many of these people, they really do believe this. They are feeling the fear of, uh, they, they do feel threatened because their false identity is that real to them. That's how deep the psychological instability goes. You know, this is Tinkerbell ontology that I've spoken about before. Clap your hands for Tinker Trans. You have to believe. If you don't believe, it's not real. You're erasing us. You're erasing us. It's literally Tinkerbell. It's literally that portion of the stage play when you put on Peter Pan where the characters stop and address the audience directly and urge you to clap for Tinkerbell and say out loud that you believe. They're asking you to affirm. This is the very same dynamic going on here. Tinkerbell ontology. Let's have more quotes from Kel. Kel Arbor. Arbor said the stickers might be small, but they add up in the harm they cause. Oh my God. Quote, there is a direct connection between that kind of stickering and Fern Feathers murder, Arbor said. There it is. These are not isolated things. And even if it's not this person perpetuating that other violence, you mean perpetrating, 
They're creating a climate that gives somebody else permission and validation and reasserts these messages that are just not accurate. Really, so the stickers are giving permission to murderers who otherwise would have been fine and would not have murdered anybody. Putting up stickers is giving them permission. And there's, as you said, a direct connection between these stickers and Fern Feathers. And Fern Feather, by the way, was a man. This is DARVO, Deny, Attack, and Reverse Victim and Offender. It's a narcissistic reversal. Saying that there are only men and women does not lead to violence, and it doesn't give permission for violence or murder. But do you know what could do that? Accusing people like the person putting up these stickers, accusing the sticker person or accusing Christopher Felker or accusing me or accusing someone like the late Peggy Lures, the feminists and lesbians who also object to, the, uh, to gender ideology, accusing them of facilitating the murder of trans people can actually create an atmosphere where people feel free to be violent against us. Because if they are convinced of this, if they, and many people are, right? You don't have to be personality disordered to get zealous about something. If you believe there is a real, clear, and imminent danger, you're going to act as if there is one. And this does convince a lot of people. You tell them that we're responsible for these people getting murdered, you're act you are actually, in reality, creating a social atmosphere where we are a little bit less physically safe. You, I mean, and you guys listening, this is another thing. Don't let them take reality away from you. When they exaggerate and they cry wolf, a lot of people react to that by saying, I'm never going to believe another claim. I'm never going to believe any claims that any speech at all has any effect or could, could lead to any... Um, escalating situations because look at them lying. No, no, please don't do that. The misuse of an analysis does not mean that the analysis has always been fake in every instance. They're misusing it. They're lying and they're exaggerating. And they are doing something that actually endangers, and I, I'm not trying to big this up bigger than, I'm not walking down the street with body armor on, okay? I don't think I'm in that kind of danger. But I do think it's ramped up a little bit. They're accusing us of what they themselves are doing. And, and, and for the free press, how can you not see this? How can you not see what you're doing? Or is it that you do see it and you'd like to see us be in harm's way? Or you'd like to see us canceled? How much of it is that? I think you would like that. I mean, after all, since we're fomenting murder, we are a danger to the public. And we should be harshly dealt with before we get any other poor, innocent trans person murdered, right? Clear and present danger, us gender critical people. Next part of the story, subhead, what can law enforcement do about it? And here's the only part of the article where we get some sense. <clears throat> the article says, Mayor Mira Weinberger's chief of staff, Jordan Reddle, said the staff have complained about the stickers and are looking for ways to, quote, lawfully address concerns. Yeah, well, good luck. Here's a reality check from acting Burlington Police Chief John Murad. He said, Officers can't arrest someone for stickering because stickers do not usually damage the surfaces where they are placed, a requirement for the action to be categorized as a crime according to state law. More. Officers can, however, ticket someone for putting up stickers without permission because of Burlington's municipal laws on graffiti. According to the code, quote, gum labels, another word for any kind of sticker that's difficult to remove in one piece, 
count as graffiti. The punishment for defacing public or private property is a $500 fine. Now, downtown Burlington is covered in graffiti. I have never heard one media outlet ever in the 20 years that I have lived here ever cite someone getting a ticket for graffiti or ever describe the presence of graffiti all over the city as a danger, as a criminal act, or even as the vandalism that it is. I wonder why. We know why, don't we? I don't have to say it. Who tags? Who spray paints in that particular style? What demographic group? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, the article goes on to say that someone complaining about this allegedly illegal stickering, they would have to give a sworn statement to the police. They would have to be able to identify the perpetrator in a <laughs> the perpetrator. Look, they've got me doing it in the uh, in a lineup in order for the police to be able to issue a ticket. And then the complainant would also have to testify in court if the alleged perpetrator objected. So, guys, you want to do this? You really want to see this? You're going to have to put yourself on the line, too. You are going to have to talk to the state under your own name. You ready? No, you're not. Another quote from John Murad, the police chief. Murad said the First Amendment covers most speech, even offensive language, as long as it does not threaten or incite violence. Vermont's laws on hate-motivated crime would not apply unless the stickers were determined to be criminal, threatening, or another type of crime. Now, you've heard the accusations throughout this story that the stickers contribute to trans murders. You've heard that they're hateful, and you've heard that they've got LGBTQ plus people living in fear. But you haven't been told what these stickers actually say. You are expected to believe that they are dangerous this way simply on the free press's say-so. They will not tell you. I will. Would you like to see these stickers? Let's take a look. First one appears to be on a <clears throat> utility pole. Real men defend women's sex-based rights, spaces, and sports. That's sticker number one. Let's look at another. This one's on the back of a road sign, apparently getting ready to leave sticker residue. And it says, no one was ever born into the wrong body. That's the entire sticker. No one was ever born into the wrong body. Let's look at another. Here's a picture on the back of a road sign again. Trans women are men and do not belong in women's spaces and sports. How about another? Again, on a road sign. Listen to detransitioners and female athletes. Now, how did I get the... <laughs> This is what the stickers actually say. No one was born into the wrong body. Listen to women. Protect women's and girls' spaces and sports. These are the transphobic stickers. These are the stickers that are erasing Kel Arbor and people like him. The, this, these are the stickers that, as Kel Arbor said, have a direct connection to the murder of Fern Feather. 
Do you believe this? Do you think these stickers have anything to do with that? Do you find them transphobic? Do you even know what that means? Because I don't. Anything is transphobic that these people don't like. Do they sound dangerous? Are they inciting anything? Are they criminal? Do they threaten? Do they even mock or degrade? No, they don't. That is what the free press is doing. That was their cover story. What's being done about it? Anti-trans messages all over Burlington on the front page above the fold. Never telling you the content of these allegedly, these stickers that are allegedly terrorizing the LGBTQBPD community. Where did I get them? Because I know the person who does the stickering. And I'm not telling you who it is. And I'll help in ways I'm not going to disclose to you. So suck it up, free press. You'd have no idea how many people this shit motivated this week. People are talking to each other. You're going to see more of this. You did that. You built this. Now, we did try to find out if we could find out more. Kevin sent um, a social media message to the reporter, Lily San Angelo. Let's put that on the screen and I'll read it to you. Hi, Lily. I'm a producer for the Disaffected podcast based in Burlington. We're going to be covering your sticker story tomorrow on tomorrow's telecast. I have a few questions for you. First one, have you actually seen the stickers? What do they say? Lily responds, Hi, Kevin. Because I don't live in the new North End, no, I have not seen the stickers in person because they tend to be taken down or covered pretty quickly, but I have seen plenty of photos of them from people who do live in the new North End or travel the bike path. Some of the phrases I saw were, trans women are men, get over it, quote, no one was ever born into the wrong body, and, quote, trans women are men and don't belong in women's spaces and sports. Okay. She said that honestly. Lily. Over here, Miss St. Angelo, pretend I'm speaking to you in real life. Look me in the eye and tell me with honesty that you actually believe that those phrases you just repeated are putting people in danger, are leading to murder, and should be investigated and have something done about them. Tell that to my face and then reaffirm that you are a fully grown adult woman who has achieved the age of majority, that you have a degree in journalism and that you are a working professional. Because this bullshit 10 years ago wouldn't even have been recognized. Little more. Kevin asked Lily then, I'm not criticizing, but I'm just curious why the details of the stickers were not included in the article. Lily responds, we didn't choose to include the contents of the stickers because we didn't want to give the words more power than they already have by repeating them. There you have it. She knew. She had the information and she decided not to include it. She didn't trust you as a reader. She did not want you to make up your own mind. You know why? Because she knows, just like everybody editing above, not editing above her, good God, free press, what the hell is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? They all know that this is bullshit. And their readers would have called bullshit. 
That's why I hope as many people as possible who are in the state of Vermont, in or around Burlington, please share this show. We actually gave you the information that the free press would not give you. I think they know how they would be viewed if the truth came out. This is what the media has been doing. This is why you cannot trust them. They do have a leftist agenda. It's not just Fox News complaining about that. It's real. If the free press is willing to hide details that are this silly, what the hell else are they hiding from you? What, why would you believe anything in, where is it? In this flimsy fish wrapper. $3.50 for this? Get out of here. You know, Kevin used to do work with the free press. Here's a picture of him tabling for them a few years ago. He was a freelancer. He didn't work directly for them. He was a freelancer. Here's another pic, free press, of Kevin winning you guys an Edward R. Murrow Award. <laughs> I hope that grinds you. I hope you grind your teeth down into powder in frustration. I have some questions to leave you with, free press. Why would you not show pictures of the stickers? Why would you not transcribe their words? Are you worried that readers would see that there's nothing wrong with them? Is it your intention to mislead the readers by omitting basic information? The first thing you learn when learning to write for a newspaper is who, what, when, where, and why. The what was left out completely. You failed the most basic journalistic test. You didn't even put the what in there. You editorialized about it, but you didn't describe it. Let us know what you think. All right. <clears throat> Time to take a break. We weren't really long on that one. Do you appreciate this coverage? I hope you do. Will you support us? Please help this show stay here and grow. We need your help, and we really appreciate everybody who stepped up to do it already. You can donate to us on Patreon at patreon.com disaffected. You can donate on Subscribestar at subscribestar.com disaffected. And when you do, you get invitations to our monthly Zoom hangouts, but also I'm putting up a lot more written content, so you're getting posts throughout the week on there that you only get as a supporter. And you really, this is a good week to sign up because we have a Zoom meeting coming up. Um, so today is Sunday that you're watching this one week from today, one in the afternoon, Eastern U.S. time. We're having a screening of John Waters' classic, Female Trouble, with Divine in the lead role as Dawn Davenport. It's basically a documentary of 2022 with clairvoyant, um, precog <laughs> vision. Okay, we'll take a break and see you on the other side. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too, so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. 
Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off-camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Welcome back. Let's enter the world of non-binary bearded dating. Roll it, Kevin. Today, I'm going on my first blind date. Dating can be really difficult when you're non-binary and a bearded woman at the same time. The response I got from dating apps was not good. I got told I was disgusting a lot, so I'm feeling a mixture of nervous and excited. But I feel confident about my date seeing my beard. It's not something that makes me feel self-conscious anymore. Hey. I am going for kind of a semi-goth look. I have this nice black dress. It has pockets even. And I have this sweater that I really like. My foundation, some nice simple black eyeliner, and some sparkly red lipstick. I am a doll enthusiast. I enjoy collecting them. I get a lot of my makeup looks actually from my dolls. My name is Clyde. I'm 28 years old and I live in Omaha, Nebraska. Today I'm going on my first blind date. Dating can be really difficult when you're non-binary and a bearded woman at the same time. I'm not what people expect to see on the dating apps, so I get a lot of, <laughs> oh, you're disgusting, and because of that, I've actually deleted all of the dating apps, so I'm feeling a mixture of nervous and excited. My ideal date is going to the board game library and just having a good time nerding out together. Um, I'm a little bit nervous because I've never been on a blind date before, but I'm excited. I'm hoping that, you know, we hit it off and they're a cool person. Oh, honey. Okay, so for those of you who couldn't see, the non-binary bearded woman is a man who is about 300 to 350 pounds, who walks with a cane. Uh, he, he doesn't look like he's even 30 years old. Um, dresses in, in long flowing muumu type dresses and has silly makeup. And I... I debated, I couldn't tell actually the first time around, is this a man or a woman? For a couple of reasons. One, yes, I hear the voice. I can hear the same voice that you hear. But we also know that women who take testosterone, their voice is lower. So I thought maybe this is a woman who's on testosterone. Because I'm sorry, but morbid obesity is very common among this set. And I believe that it's happening for the same reasons that, it's, that it always has trauma but also the fatter you get the more you blunt the appearance of secondary sexual characteristics you become more androgynous looking the the the, the bone structure of your face is hidden the outlines of your body the waist to hip ratio is no longer there because there is no ratio right and i'm not trying i'm not trying to be insulting but you get fat enough and men can pass as women and women can pass as men it's sometimes difficult to see and sadly I, I think this has an awful lot to do with actually hiding from the world. This is not a wonderful identity that they're embracing. It's part of a, it's part of an avoidance strategy. 
And this young woman that you hear at the end of the clip is, oh, I don't know, 22, 23 years old. She's got uh, silly purple hair, um, uh, lots of earrings, a little bit of face metal. She's a young lesbian. Does she have any idea what she's running into? I don't know because I didn't watch the rest of the video. I'm not going to because I don't want to know. Uh, that's as much of that as I can take. I find these kinds of contrived situations that rely on humiliation and social tension, I find them absolutely unbearable. Um, they, they provoke the same um, discomfort in me that I had when I could feel a fight or a tantrum brewing in my home and I felt like I had to... Uh, work really hard to distract and entertain people to keep my mother's temper at a certain level. So that's how I feel when I watch. I, I can't I can't watch these things very far. But there are a couple of other things in there that that give it away. This guy says he's a doll enthusiast. If you couldn't see, he's got those Bratz dolls. They were popular in the early 2000s. They should have been called sluts. They're basically Barbies with exaggerated sexual characteristics and uh, fish lips with lip liner and and false lashes and all this stuff. And he says, I got a lot of I get a lot of my makeup looks from my dolls. This is a very typical male fetish way of going about being a woman. I mean, he says, I'm a non-binary bearded woman. So you're non-binary, you're neither nor, but you're also a woman. Okay. Okay. Enough of that. Trust in Institutions Falling, episode 5,364. Here is a social media ad from healthcare.gov. It pictures two quite fat, once again, two quite fat women at a wedding, a lesbian wedding. And it says, I do in sickness and in health plans. When life changes, you have a short time to update your plan at healthcare.gov. If you're tying that knot, take a look. This is the federal government's propaganda site to get you signed up for Obamacare. But what health agency highlights and features moderate to severe obesity in their models as much as places like this do? This isn't about getting people to sign up for anything, and no, no despite what they will claim, it is not about getting marginalized folks to sign. These people already know it's there. Your little ads aren't actually doing anything they don't already know. You're not getting people in who wouldn't have been covered anyway. You're just doing this to virtue signal in front of other upper middle class well-to-do leftists. That is the only reason you run these ads. Signaling, not health. And to show that you are au fait with the LGBTQBPD community. That's my new acronym for it, yes. LGBTQ Borderline Personality Disorder. It's patented. Pay me royalties if you use it. I'm sick of this. I can only imagine how the white straight people feel these days. Let's call them all, you know what? Heterosexual people, are you sick of gays? Sure, we all are. <laughs> I am too. I give you permission to be sick of us because I am, I'm, as we used to say decades ago, I am through the bag with them, honey. I am done with them. Let's go all, I mean, you know, you have to let gays like me in, but let's just all go move someplace that's less gay. All right. But of course, there's the reactions to this, which are also virtue signaling. So I just pulled some representative uh, reactions from Facebook. Jamie Stanton says, two consenting adults, I wish them health and happiness. Well, you better wish harder. Did you see them? 
Ooh. There's no reason for that except a virtue signal. It's two consenting adults. Nobody said it wasn't consenting adults. Nobody said they shouldn't be able to get married. You just felt that you needed to say that to show how much of an ally you are, even though we've had gay marriage since 2015, for God's sake. Next one from Terry Blevins. If people are happy, then let them be happy. Who's trying to not let them be happy, Terry? <sighs> Throw Terry a dog biscuit. She wants attention. Then Maria Galvin says, supposed to be just learn to respect others. There is no right or wrong. That's it right there. That's it. There is no right or wrong. That is what tolerance evolved into. That's what acceptance evolved into. Tolerate people's differences, even if they're not your favorite, because they're citizens and human beings just like you. Fine. Now we're at full, there is no right or wrong. Moral relativism masquerading as normal human kindness. It leads to suffering. Something more consequential may be coming up in Congress regarding gender identity. This information comes from The Hill, the publication The Hill. Quote, a group of House Democrats on Tuesday announced they would move to codify federal protections for transgender people. The proposal would amend the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to explicitly include protections for gender identity and sex characteristics, expand access to gender-affirming care, and ban conversion therapy. That needs picked apart because they threw in some good things with the bad, and if you are not careful, you will end up endorsing the whole thing. Ex explicitly include protections for sex characteristics. If that means, well, you know what? Actually, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't. I can't play the good faith thing. I don't trust the government to be in in to make anti discrimination laws, even when they're necessary. Yes, even when they're necessary, I don't trust them. It always goes too far every single time. Now we're living in the consequences of it. Um. They've thrown in sex characteristics, so you can interpret that to mean, well, they'll be protecting women's rights then because they're recognizing sex. No, they're not, because they're also throwing in gender identity, and gender identity trumps sex. It's simply an assertion that you are what sex you are, and once you assert that, nobody can contradict it. Sex is off the table. Expand access to gender-affirming care. That euphemism means slicing healthy breasts off women, poisoning children with puberty blockers to stop their natural maturation, Poisoning adolescents and adults with cross-sex hormones that are actually poisonous when they're given to the opposite sex and lead to things like osteoporosis, heart failure, um, huge rise in cancer, stroke, early death. These are all the consequences of gender-affirming care and banned conversion therapy. I know you're very sympathetic to that, right? Well, remember how they used to take these gay men to these Christian Southern fundamentalist camps and hook them up to electrodes and shock them every time they got turned on by men or whatever it was? Guess what? That was vanishingly rare. That was never a huge societal problem. Yes, it's a problem when it happens, but no, I'm not going to pretend that it was a huge scourge. It wasn't. It's simply something that they need you to believe was real and widespread to scare you into supporting this shit. What they mean by banned conversion therapy is not stop people from having electrodes hooked up to them, not stop them from being physically abused and uh, um, in order to make uh, gay people straight. What they mean is 
Conversion therapy is a therapist or a psychiatrist talking about where feelings of gender identity come from rather than immediately affirming. That is what they call conversion therapy. They say, you're trying to change her gender identity. It's insane. Next quote. It would also require the Attorney General to designate a liaison dedicated to overseeing enforcement of civil rights for transgender people and invest in community services to prevent anti-transgender violence. This is Democrats concentrating power as they always do. They will create this office. It will be overzealous. It, they will terrorize businesses and organizations with false claims of discrimination. This will get out uh, into the world and the borderlines and the narcissists and the malingerers will know that they have a safe space there and they, they, they will know that their nonsense will be flattered. Mark my words, it's going to happen. And the transgender violence they're talking about, nearly all of it is pimps beating or killing men in drag who call themselves trans women who work as lady prostitutes or domestic situations common to all lowlifes who live their lives on drink and drugs. Did you know that? That nearly every so-called transgender murder is a result of prostitution and drugs, that is, life choices made by the trans woman that is the man? Sad, yes. Would I like these people to have a helping hand out of that lifestyle? Yes, absolutely. Do I wanna see them murdered? No. But they're not being murdered because they're trans. They're being murdered by pimps and other scumbags that they sleep with and that they work for and that they sell drugs for. And did you know that this epidemic of transgender violence is a really strange epidemic? Every year there are about 20 to 25 alleged transgender murders in this country. 20 to 25. Do you know how small that is? And I don't have to sit here and remind you that that doesn't mean I approve of 25 of them being killed, do I? And who's behind this? Well, Representative Pramila Jayapal, quote, Representative Pramila, Pramila Jayapal, the chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and co-chair of the Transgender Equality Task Force said in a statement that the resolution would ensure transgender people can lead full, happy lives. How in the world is it the government's responsibility to ensure that anyone can lead a happy life? Is the government actually our mommy? The Constitution has talks about having the right to pursue happiness. It does not guarantee happiness. It doesn't guarantee it from the government. I have another question. I'm just going to throw this out there and move on quickly. Where are the conservative Indians in this country? And I mean India from in, Indians from India rather than American Indians. Why is every single person of Indian descent in, in U.S. public policy seemingly the wokest of the woke? I mean, unbelievably uber woke. Are there seriously no conservative Indians, no centrist Indians? Is it just that none of them end up in public policy? If anybody has any insight about this, um, leave a comment on the YouTube video. I, I, I just find it extraordinary. Every single time I see a CEO of a company or, or an, Indian, uh, an Indian in politics, I say, going to be uber, uber woke, and every, every time they are. I don't remember ever seeing a conservative. Uh, I've got to give you one more before we move on to the last thing here. Um, 
Another quote from Pramila Jayapal. Listen to this nonsense. As we witness Republicans and an extremist Supreme Court attack and roll back the fundamental rights of trans people across our country and state legislatures across the country target our trans community with hateful, bigoted, and transphobic attacks, we are standing up and saying enough is enough, Jayapal said. Sit down, lady. Mm. All right, that section is done. It's so hot up in here. Yes, I know one of you sent me a link to a silent desk fan. I'm definitely going to have to invest in that, but just give me a moment here to sort of wipe the glow off. Thank God for that primer. <laughs> Reminds me of Death Becomes Her, the undertaker, uh, the surgeon who's an alcoholic and becomes an undertaker because his hands shake too much. This lady comes up to him in a bar and she says, I just wanted to thank you for that beautiful job you did on my Aunt Esther. She looks so lifelike. I wonder, what is your secret? He says, spray paint. That's what I need. I need to come in here and get spray painted. Okay. I told you recently, let me start that again. I told you recently that I'm in business. Have you got a boss who butters you up one day and then talks you down to the big boss behind your back? Have you got a mother who seems more like your child, demanding your attention, your time, and your labor no matter what time of day or night it is? Is your friend so lost to woke that he's now running a smear campaign against you on social media? Have you experienced anything like this? Are you going through it right now? You and I need to talk. If you're looking for somebody who understands high-conflict people, you found him. Whether the problem person in your life is enthralled to a cult or has a full personality disorder, let's talk about some practical, real-world solutions that can help you get to a better place. That's why I started Slocum Consulting. I'm not a therapist. I don't pretend to be a therapist. I don't want to be a therapist. I would not choose to go back to school even if I could. That's not what I want to do. What I am is an experienced and well-read layman. I know personality disordered thinking and behavior like the back of my hand. I was raised by it, and I replicated it in relationships in my adult life for a long time until I came to a, to a kind of awakening about what I was doing. And then I put it out of my life. If you are ready to do the same, book a session with me at joshuaslocum.net, and I think you'll be glad you did. And I'm going to segue into answering some questions. These are the kinds of questions that people come to me with. And I asked you last week to give me some material. Tell me what you want answered, what I can talk about for you. And uh, many of you chimed in, so thank you very much. I could get to all of them, but we'll do this more again. I could do a whole show on this, um, just your questions about family relationships, personality, psychology, this sort of stuff. It's fun. So if you want to send them, please do. So question one. And I'm not going to name you, you viewers, you will hear your words here. Those of you who wrote to me, I know who you are and thank you very much. I'm not going to use your names because I'm never quite sure whether people want to be acknowledged because of the content matter of this show, but I know who you are and I appreciate you. Thank you. How does alcoholism or substance abuse play a part in cluster B dynamics? I've known people who I now recognize to exhibit cluster B behaviors who have problems with alcohol. The behavior is worse when drinking. Is there a clear cause and effect? Good question. And I mean that. I'm not one of those people who says good question reflexively. 
I hate that. That's a very good question. No, sometimes that's a very stupid question. This one is a good one. What's the connection between alcohol, drugs, and cluster B personality disorders? No, there isn't a clear cause and effect. Um, that I can tell you for sure. Not clear. They appear to be interrelated and, and to feed into each other like, like most other things do, like nature and nurture does. What I can say is it's, um, if you take a population of people who have cluster B personality disorders, the number of them who are going to be addicts or drunks is far, far higher than the background population. They absolutely do go together. That doesn't mean everybody is. Like my mother, for example, well, did you get bingo, by the way? Mark your card. <laughs> my mother wasn't a drinker. Um, she, was, she was very afraid of, of alcohol because her father was a drunk. Uh, so she had good reason to know what it could turn you into. Uh, she was a Valium addict, though. So, um, yeah, it's much more likely if you have a cluster B personality disorder, there's a much higher risk of, of being a problem drinker or a drug addict or something like this. And yes, of course, everybody's behavior gets worse under those conditions. As you know, many of you, I was an alcoholic most of my adult life. Um, I haven't had a drink in more than two years, but uh, plenty of very bad behavior. I engaged in plenty of very bad behavior under the influence of alcohol, and some of it looked absolutely cluster B. Yep, for sure. In fact, a former friend of mine um, said something very wise to me many years ago, and she said, for a lot of people, alcohol is a personality disorder in a bottle. And I should probably remember to say this more uh, to help people understand cluster B who think that they don't understand it. If, you th if you've never heard of it before, you don't know what a personality disordered person acts like, if you've known an alcoholic, you know cluster B because the behaviors are like this, right? Um, very often that person who's an alcoholic will have either cluster B traits or a full-on personality disorder, not always, but even those who are not personality disordered who are alcoholics and problem drinkers will act in that way. Um, I'm sorry I can't give you anything clearer than that, but they, they certainly do have um, an effect with each other. Next question is, uh, curious to know if there's any correlation between IQ and cluster B personality disorders. I have no idea, and I don't actually know if there's any research on this. Uh, no clue. There might be. In my experience, I don't see a correlation between them. That doesn't mean it isn't real. It just means I haven't experienced it. I have known people that I think are personality disordered who were of average intelligence. I've known some who are quite dumb. And I've known some who are absolutely brilliant and some who are absolutely artistically talented. So what tends to happen, take a narcissist, for example, a clever, charismatic, um, well-spoken or sexually alluring narcissist will often get much, will, will get much higher on the economic ladder. They'll become famous or well-known uh, in some way because they've got that charm and charisma and they will control people at high levels using that charm and charisma, whereas somebody, a narcissist of average intelligence or slightly dim might find his way into, you know, a lowly managerial job in a government office or something where he can terrorize and, and wield power over, you know, being a big fish in a very small pond. So I've, I've seen it all along the spectrum. I don't know if there's any actual correlation. Next one is, is really interesting. I love this one. Uh, the question is, what are the differences and similarities between borderline personality disorder and complex post-traumatic stress disorder? There's disagreement about this. First of all, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, or CPTSD, 
refers to a kind of post-traumatic stress disorder that is somewhat different from the kind that you are thinking of. The classic PTSD, we used to call shell shock, men coming back from war, um, hearing a loud noise or a car backfiring will give them a flashback. And I, that's this is a stereotypical thing, and that's not entirely accurate. But th that that exists, that, that kind of PTSD or the PTSD that you can get if, if you survive a plane crash, right? Um, and not everybody who survives a traumatic event will develop PTSD. That's another myth. Some people are much more resilient, or if they develop it, it's, it can't even really be called a syndrome because it's a natural stress reaction in the aftermath of a, a horrendous event. And if they're more resilient, it will taper more quickly over time. But that's PTSD. Complex or complicated post-traumatic stress disorder is theorized to be a kind of PTSD that's not linked to one traumatic event, but to a long series of, of a long time of abuse and confinement, especially if there is no chance of escape. So that describes the parent-child relationship of a child growing up in a home with a personality disordered parent or a grown person in, an, in a romantic relationship or a marriage with an abusive and controlling partner that happens over so many years that she's eventually ground down and has no sense of herself anymore. And the difference is CPTSD, you don't have like these classic flashbacks, you have what are called emotional flashbacks, uh, where you're in a situation that subconsciously reminds you of an emotionally abusive dynamic you've been in before, and it may provoke you to overreact to that situation emotionally. Now, CPTSD is not recognized in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, so it's technically not a disorder. There are a lot of clinicians out there who believe that it is a real thing and should be recognized. There are many who think it is not a real thing. Now, when it comes to borderline personality disorder and CPTSD, there's disagreement. Some people believe that they are the same thing. Um, or that they are basically the same thing, but with degrees of severity, so CPTSD being a less severe form of BPD. There are other people who think that they are entirely distinct from each other. Um, there are still more I th who think that they are related. They have, regardless of what you think about them, if you believe CPTSD exists, the symptoms it has do have a lot of overlap with borderline personality disorder. I am uncertain on this. I believe right now that I lean toward the idea that CPTSD is a real thing but that it does have a lot of overlap with borderline that it because it comes from the same place and it ends up at some of the same places. But I'm not certain on this, and, and I may revise my, my thinking over time. Here are some quotes from a Psychology Today article. And yes, I'm careful about these because that's a, a popular magazine now. But the author's descriptions give what seems to me an accurate, uh, an accurate view of one of these points of view. So she says this. While both disorders may experience symptoms associated with fear within relationships, one distinguishing factor seen in borderline personality disorder that is not often seen in CPTSD is a fear of abandonment. Those with CPTSD, however, may avoid relationships based on feeling somewhat, somehow unlovable or undeserving because of the abuse they endured, which can overlap with similar feelings experienced in borderline PD. Similarly, those with CPTSD often avoid relationships altogether or push others away as unsafe or threatening. These behaviors may be confused as a fear of abandonment seen in those with BPD. This makes a lot of sense to me. And, and partially because it, it, 
admittedly, it, it flatters a way that I would like to think about myself, but I may be fooling myself. Um, as I've said before, I think, I think at one point in my life, I would have qualified for a borderline or histrionic personality disorder diagnosis. I don't think that I do now. I, I still have traits. But I, I do think that CPTSD describes um, what is left over in my psyche, um, my maladaptive reactions that come out more now under pressure than they used to spill out a lot more than they do now. But I have never, I've never felt a fear of abandonment. I get angry and I can feel betrayed if people abandon me in a way that I think is, it's hard to talk about this stuff. Um, I don't believe that fear of abandonment has been a big problem for me. I mean, I have been abandoned. I was abandoned by my mother in, in, in many ways, but it's not an overriding fear. And I don't engage in, in what they call frantic and chaotic ways of staying engaged uh, if somebody wants to walk away. That just is not a feeling that I've experienced. So, you know, that may give some credence to the distinction between the two. It may not. Um, article goes on to say, those with complicated post-traumatic stress disorder may often feel shame and blame themselves for their interpersonal problems, a symptom that's also similar to the experiences of those with borderline personality disorder. However, another key difference is those with CPTSD usually do not self-harm. This is a more common behavior seen in borderline, where stressors and interpersonal relationships may trigger episodes of self-harming behavior. This may include suicidal ideation or suicide attempt. And again, describes me. Uh, I'm not suicidal. I'm not a cutter. Um, I haven't done that since I was 12 or 13 years old when I was trying to kill myself. Um, just, I'm just not suicidal. Ideation? Sure. When I've been depressed, I can ruminate about suicide, but I don't even go so far as to make a plan. And I don't talk about it with other people. It, 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 you know, it's not like, oh, I feel I need help. If I felt I need, once or twice in my life, I've reached out and said I'm feeling really, really, really low, but I still don't think I was actually suicidal. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, um, those are two ways to think about that. The jury is out, BPD and CPTSD. Uh, they're, they're, they're both describing real psychological states or collections of psychological states, but whether they are um, distinct categories and overlapping form of each other is, is the jury's still out on that. Um, and you know what? I think that's a good place to end the show. We've gone long. Uh, this has been an intense one. I thank you for joining me on this, and we will have more for you next week. Take good care, folks. For more conversation on the dark and disordered psychology that shapes today's cultural and political left, subscribe to our weekly audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and virtually anywhere else you get your podcasts. Let's learn to recognize these dynamics and call them what they are. Subscribe to Disaffected to learn how to break the spell. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom Hangouts. They're off-camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com disaffected. Or 
visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out.